You're listening to the Jays Journal Podcast for June 24th. And needless to say, after this loss to Kansas City and the Roberto Asuna comments of earlier in the day, a lot of you are probably not having a very, very big baseball day. I'm going to do my best to take your mind off things, ironically enough, by reminding you of certain things and having a couple of guests on today that I think will really, really keep you interested in, in the show and in, and in Blue Jays baseball in general. Now, I'm sure many of you are very curious about the words that were reported from Roberto Asuna earlier in the day. Uh, Arden Zwelling initially tweeted out some information, and then after that, the Twitterverse basically caught fire, not unlike a lot of the forest fires we're seeing around the world. Um, from a sports perspective, this requires a further look at exactly what this means and what the implications are to the Blue Jays. The fact remains that Roberto Asuna, the elite closer of the team, who normally would be money in the bank coming into a situation like last night with three runs available to play with and only needing a one-inning save, was left on the bench. And as a result, by staying in the dugout, the Blue Jays failed to close the game and lost. So from a competitive standpoint, they were handcuffed. Now we've learned that it would seem that Roberto Asuna is struggling with either anxiety or some form of mental illness or something that requires a further look into exactly what's been troubling him. So naturally, fans are enormously concerned. My first guest on tonight's show is a licensed clinical and sports psychologist with an expertise in the area of the stigma associated with mental illness, and in particular, how anxiety and depression impacts our day-to-day lives. It's my pleasure to have Dr. Christina Real on the show. Christina, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I'd like to start by asking you, your initial impressions of today's news surrounding Blue Jays closer Roberto Asuna. What are your thoughts on what you've gathered from all the social media white noise? You know, I think that there's been a lot of discussion. Um, and I have to say that the responses from several individuals that I've seen have been overwhelmingly positive with regard to his disclosure of what he's dealing with. And I cannot express enough how fantastic it is to see the support and the community come together surrounding a player who has talked about anxiety. Uh, Oftentimes I think that anxiety and depression in professional sports, but in in general life, just goes uh, undiscussed. And um, when we're thinking about somebody in an elite position to come out um, when he didn't need to, This is somebody who didn't need to talk about this, but chose to do so in a way that is positive and in a way that is honest and authentic. Um, And so I just think that it's a a great thing that he's opened the door for these kinds of conversations. Now, you tweeted recently that anxiety is not just a part of the mental game. It can have psychological implication or a psychological impact on how it affects gameplay. Can you explain to my Mm -hmm. listeners in greater detail what you meant by that tweet? Well, I think going back to his comments, he's been very specific about saying that this um, anxiety that he's dealing with is not related to baseball, right? So he's been very specific about this. And so part of my comments will be to that, but also talking about when anxiety is part of baseball, because there's two sides to it. So we can have anxiety in our lives that affect our performance. And listeners in general can experience this in their own lives. So if you have a big um, test coming up and you feel anxious regarding that test and then you go in and perform and it's not up to optimal levels because of your anxiety, obviously this is something that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. Now, you can also have anxiety in your everyday life 
that has nothing to do with testing. And that anxiety can also affect your performance. So for his comments, he talks about the fact that um, this is anxiety related to things outside of baseball. But anxiety can actually have a physiological effect on your body. So when it comes to anxiety, muscle tension is something that we talk about a lot. And listeners can experience this in their own life. If they're anxious, a lot of the times we have tension in our hands, tension in our um, our arms. And for someone who is um, a professional athlete, that tension can translate to small changes in the way that they approach their sport. So anxiety can have an effect on performance in, in sport, just based on muscle tension alone, let alone some of the mental aspects of anxiety, which include you know, thinking about things, worrying about things, um, whether it's inside or outside the sport. That's really interesting because you mentioned that we are talking about athletes. So the expectation from fans and the player is that every time he walks out from the bullpen to close a game, that he'll be bringing his A game. And what you're basically mm-hmm. telling, telling our listeners here is that sometimes you won't have your A game, but you're not going to tip your hand because you want the fans and, and on all the spectators to appreciate that you're ready to go. And yet we have to be mindful of that is what I'm hearing. Well, yeah, I think the, the underlying aspect of all of this is that he's human. This is someone who is an elite athlete on the very basic level, a human being. And so we all have days in our lives or moments in our lives where we feel like we're not performing at the optimal level. And he has the added pressure of the media, the fans, his teammates, um, and athletes in general have this pressure to perform at their um, optimal level. And, you know, you can do a lot of things inside sport to be able to optimize your performance. Um, but there are times where, you know, things are just, are just not going to be at your, at your A level. And, you know, as an athlete, you have to learn, and it's an active process, to learn how to deal with that um, and deal with fans, media coming at you with expectations that perhaps you didn't meet that night before. Um, and in a very real sense, elite athletes deal with this um, on a, in, in kind of a spotlight where every action that they take is um, under a microscope by not only fans, but the media. And, and oftentimes their mistakes are, um, are put under the spotlight. And so we see them and they see them. And um, so it's, it's a learning process to learn how to move past that and continue to perform at your elite level. Um, as far as anxiety goes, it's one of the most common things that individuals deal with. And 18% of U.S. adults in the last year have experienced anxiety. And over their lifetime, individuals in, in, in their lifetime, 29% of individuals will, will deal with anxiety. So this is not something that, is, that one or two people deal with. This is something that, that is, is more widespread than that. So it's, you know, you brought up, this, you know, when we talked about the stigma, only 30, 37% of people who experience anxiety get help for it. You know, um, so I don't know if there's a way to, isn't that crazy? It's, you know, is there a way that we can put that information out there? Because I think it's important for people to understand that he's not a needle in a haystack. 
I'm speaking with sports psychologist Dr. Christina Real. Uh, Christina, why aren't we hearing more about this in the media, in your opinion? And and how do you feel about this perception of how the stigma of mental illness is being managed from baseball front office perspectives? Do you think that Major League Baseball is doing enough to safeguard the interests of these human players that are expected to always perform at the highest level possible? You know, I think that baseball is doing a good job um, as far as having a lot of sports psychologists inside of their teams. So um, there are a lot of teams in the um, in Major League Baseball that use sports psychologists, and I think that's a phenomenal thing. I think what we're talking about as far as mental illness is concerned is even outside of that, and I think that we as um, a community are not doing enough to safeguard not only our professional athletes, but individuals in general who talk about having anxiety or depression or other mental illnesses. Um, The stigma surrounding mental illness is ever prevalent, which is why um, if you look at his comments, there's been this media storm. Now, if we look at other things, would it have caused the media storm that it did if it was, oh, I, you know, um, I broke my finger, right? You know, something other than uh, something to do with um, anxiety might have been perceived or um, thought of in a very different way. And I think that the stigma associated with mental illness is really responsible for that. And I'm wondering, how impressed are you that Roberto Osuna, at such a relative young age for a professional athlete, in his third full season, someone who's 21, 22 years old, how do you feel about the fact that ageism could also be a factor and whether or not these kinds of concerns are taken seriously by fans and baseball organizations alike. You know, I think that he is an incredibly, not not knowing him, not having ever spoken to him, um, I think he's an incredibly brave person to so early in his career decide that this was something that he was going to talk about. Um, because I think that there there are implications that come from that, whether whether we want to believe so or not. And, um, you know, I think that I think that he should be nothing but applauded for his bravery and for his um, conviction to, to, to talk about it. Thank you so much for joining us the Jay's Journal podcast. You can find Dr. Christina Real at Doc Real on Twitter, and we certainly hope that you can come and visit us with us again very soon. Oh, I would be very, very happy to do so. And thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about this. This was a wonderful experience. Now, switching gears, I'd like to bring on a guest who can talk to us a little bit about the power of images. And in particular, means from a Blue Jays fan's perspective, when he sees a lot of these pictures and photos and images that inspire us to greater flights of baseball fancy. I'm now joined by Matthew Sang, photographer for the Jays Care Foundation. Matthew, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Ari. It's my pleasure. Great to be here. I can see from your body of work that you've taken pictures of many famous players and people involved with the Toronto Blue Jays. Why don't you start by telling me how you became involved in this business and how long you've been doing it for? So I've been um, always interested in the uh, the art of uh, the art of photography. I started off um, my first camera probably about five or so years ago, and I just purchased a camera um, just to, to start a new hobby. And little did I know that um, I'd be so so into um, taking photos and 
um, you know, I, I would use my camera on trips. I would uh, take photos of food. And just whenever I was at, you know, family outing or things like that, I've always had a, a creative side of me. And it wasn't until about just a little over a year ago, I, um, I attended an event, a speaker series uh, called Pitch Talks, uh, run under a company called Homestand Sports. And I attended a show, and essentially uh, you can see it as a um, TED Talks on the topic of sports. Um, so the media talent um, or the, the guests or speakers are essentially media talent um, from various sports, specifically for pitch talks, um, the well-known names in the baseball world. And that is where I attended a show as a fan and um, I, I really had a great time. And shortly after that show, uh, I was on the pitch talks Facebook, Facebook page. And I noticed that um, there weren't, um, there wasn't a good variety or a good representation of photos from that event. You know, having been there the night before and just looking at the photos that they had posted on their social media site, it just wasn't reflective of the event. Um, there were several unflattering photos um, and there were just, there was a lot of repetition um, and, and it, it was, um, sort of, um, I guess, unflattering, I guess it wasn't a good representation of the event. So I reached out to the mastermind of Homestand, uh, his name is Kevin Kennedy, and uh, just gave him my feedback on um, the content. And um, that's when he invited me out to, um, to an event, to the next Homestand event. And it was a book signing with uh, Shai Davidi from Sportsnet. So took my camera gear and I uh, went out to that show and uh, took some photos and uh, Kevin loved my stuff. And shortly after that, he welcomed me aboard and uh, I started working for Homestand. Uh, since then, I've, uh, I've shot uh, many different shows across different sports mediums like, uh, like basketball and hockey and, um, and soccer. And that sort of opened the door to, um, work with uh, various uh, charitable foundations, uh, such as Alamar Sports and, and Bautista Fund. Um, eventually, I um, got connected with the Jays Care Foundation, and um, under Robert Witchell, I've been um, fortunate enough to uh, do photos for a good majority of their local Toronto-based events. Um, so essentially, it's been a... Um, it, it's been a I wouldn't say a slow progression. It's been rather quick uh, over the past year, um, but there have been just many different steps along the way um, to um, to where I am now. Well, and it certainly sounds like you you knew when the initiative and, and met with with uh, other members of the organization or affiliated with the team that could see that you clearly ha have a passion. It shows in, in the quality of your work. Tell me about some of your more memorable photo shoots and maybe certain players and personalities you've met that have left a, an indelible mark in, in your work. Absolutely. That's a, that's a great question. So, um, yeah, I, I guess when I, when I shoot photos, when I go out to an event, my goal is to capture, a, um, capture the moment. It's to really bring the person who's viewing the photo into that event as if they were there. So they can really get a, a strong feel as to um, what what the event was like, what was going on, 
generally, what was the mood, et cetera. Um, I guess in terms of the most memorable events, um, I would have to say that uh, last year I did photos for the uh, Russell Martin um, poker tournament um, for Jay's Care. And um, it was on the field at the Rogers Center. And uh, just uh, appreciating how different it actually is to be on field at the Rogers Center versus in the stands uh, was was really, really cool. Um, I got to... um, uh, meet and talk with uh, several players um, who were there that night and uh, shoot some photos. Um, I would say one of my favorite photos would probably be um, of of a fan with uh, Jose Bautista sitting at the poker table uh, where Jose had just, um, I believe, just won a poker hand and was basically taking the chips of one of the players. And just the reaction um, of the fan and just uh, the... the uh, the look on Jose's face was really, was really memorable. Um, I've also shot, um, I guess, a lot of photos, um, I guess, at the stadium um, when players are, are on the field. And um, I have some, some of my favorite photos are of uh, just players doing their thing um, in their element, um, swinging the bat, making a catch, making a throw. Um, I really enjoy those photos as well. Um, and I would say, Probably the, the photo of mine that got the most exposure would be um, one of uh, Kevin Pilar um, at the uh, fourth annual Jose Bautista uh, Celebrity Golf Classic last year. And uh, that photo was actually uh, reproduced or reprinted in um, last October's issue of Toronto Life. And it's just a photo of, of, of uh, Kevin arriving at the event and he's uh, wearing a nice uh, stylish golf shirt. He's got an Adidas cap on and some sharp sunglasses. And he's just, I believe, just arriving um, at the course. And uh, he's just got that really cool um, uh, sports star look. And uh, so I would say that's probably my my favorite photo um, of all. I'm speaking with Matthew Sang, photographer for the Jay's Care Foundation, Speaking of which, Matthew, the Jays Care Foundation, it's the charitable arm of the Blue Jays. And my understanding is their vision is a level playing field for all children and youth across Canada. Help my listeners understand why that's important. Yeah, it's important because if you look um, across Canada, there are um, a lot of children and youth who are in marginalized communities um, where they just don't have that, that level or fair playing ground. And so that is essentially, um, in essence, what the mission of the, the Jays Care Foundation is. It's to create a level uh, playing field for these communities using the sport of baseball. Uh, so understanding that, that baseball as a foundation um, requires certain things like uh, endurance and, and leadership and, uh, you know, picking yourself up off the ground uh, when, when, when you don't succeed and trying again those sorts of fundamentals are instilled into the the children and youth who take part in the various programs um, within Jay's Care. And and, and that really uh, creates lasting change. Um, Some change you can see immediately, but some you won't see into the the future. And on your Twitter feed, you ask followers to visit Pitch Talks. Talks exactly. Can you give me an idea in a few words uh, or or a few perspectives on on what that is? 
Yes. So Pitch Talks is um, the, the brainchild of, um, of uh, Kevin Kennedy. Uh, so Kevin is a friend of mine who um, started Pitch Talks off um, about four, I believe, four years ago, um, perhaps three. And um, it's essentially the concept is uh, TED Talk on sports. So Kevin um, has great relationships with um, a lot of influential people in the world of sports media, um, including athletes and, and, and writers and broadcasters, etc. And essentially, it's just a medium where um, all these people are brought together and essentially talk sports. So it's very much a um, sort of off the record, uh, you know, Q&A, say what you want, ask what you want. And um, typically the speakers don't hold back. They'll give their opinion. It's unfiltered, unscripted. And it's just a great way for the fans of the sport to interact with the people that they follow on TV and on social media and online. And it really bridges the gap um, to them so they can learn more about their sports or their favorite sports. They can get more insight. They can hear stories that you just you don't hear about um, in the media. Um, so it, it really, um, yeah, like I said, it bridges the gap uh, between the fan and, and the sport, and it brings them that much closer to uh, the sports that they love. You can follow him for all original Blue Jays photographs and be sure to support the Jays Care Foundation and visit at Pitch Talks. Matthew, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Ari. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. My final guest tonight is someone I respect enormously because he keeps inviting me on his show over and over and over again, and one of these days he'll explain to me exactly why. He's a sportscaster with the Fan 590 and the creator of the critically acclaimed podcast The Good, The Bad, and The Teskey, Colin Teskey. He's making his Jay's Journal podcast debut. Colin, welcome. Thanks for having me on, Ari. I think you're selling yourself way too short. You have got an open-door policy when it comes to coming on the good, the bad, the Teske, you add some relevance yourself to that show, so you're welcome anytime, my friend. Wow. You know, self-deprecating humor aside, that might be like almost having a, a credit card, one of those platinum credit cards where I could just spend endlessly or a blank check. You're really overextending yourself, I think, with me, but I'll take it. I may, I may regret that after this interview. You're right. Oh, well, that is yet to be seen because... I think it depends on, on, on how you feel and, and some of your responses. I, I'm glad that you're joining us, and I look forward to having you on the show as a recurring guest. But right now, after everything that's gone on with the show and with the Jays this afternoon, I need you to tell me, should the fans of Toronto be concerned that this team is stumbling and scuffling and suffering, not just with the results of their effort on the field, but now a lot of things that are happening off the field? It's a really good question because you you have to always look at it in my perspective that there's so many games left in the season. If this were happening late in July or early into August, I think there would be room to panic. But what gives the Jays a break right now is that there's no team really pulling away in the American League. And there's a lot of teams like Toronto right now that are a few games under 500 and that have not been able to put together a solid month. And they're all bunched together, but they're all within striking distance of that elusive wildcard spot. So I think if you're a Jays fan right now, you should hold that in high regard because I still think there's a chance this team can put it all together and they're not out of it. But the concerning part to me 
is that they just seem to be a team that they don't have that macho-ness that they had a couple of years ago in 2015 when in the second half of the season, no one was stopping them. They went on an incredible run, and if they had a bad game, they'd come up the next game and they'd win and they'd have that compete level. I'm not necessarily seeing that early this year, and that to me is the concerning part. But again, there is so much baseball left to be played, and it's not like they're out of it even in their own division. The Yankees have hit a rough patch. Baltimore isn't playing very well right now. Boston as well. There's a couple of those teams that haven't been able to separate from Toronto, so they're still within striking distance. So I don't think it's time to panic just yet. But then my question to you is, how do we deal with the day-to-day uncertainty and an emotional dissonance that fans are experiencing? I mean, anyone you speak to regarding this team right now in the city, whether you're listening to them on the radio, whether it's water cooler discussions or families having dinner, there seems to be this general frustration, this angst that just won't go away. And we thought that maybe getting to 500 would cure all that ails us. But clearly, this is one of the most neurotic years for fans of the Toronto Blue Jays. I don't think I've seen a season like this in virtually the 40 years that I've covered and, and, and followed this team. Is this, is this a novelty for you, Colin? Or are you maybe a little bit more uh, self-aware of what's happening and keeping things in context? I'm keeping things in context, Ari, because I mentioned the year 2015. The Jays were 51 and 51. They were exactly 500, and they went on a run. And I know they went on an incredible run that's going to be hard to match, and I don't think they're going to be able to go on the same run this season. But as long as you're hovering around that 500 mark right now, it really doesn't matter. I don't want to completely throw away the first half of the season and how important it is. It's important to get off to a good start, and it's even tougher when you don't get off to a good start to make up those games in August and in September. But I really do think this team has got something. I think if you look at the fans, too, they're still selling out almost every game. They're still having one of the top attendances in the American League. I think the fans you're hearing from represent a very small minority, and they seem to be the loudest ones, but I don't think that is a good reflection of the rest of the fan base. I think there's a lot of people on the side of thinking that, look, once they get healthy, once they get Aaron Sanchez back, and if they can just get everybody hitting consistently, this could still be a team that is relevant and that is dangerous. It's not a team that doesn't need to be fixed. They've got some holes they definitely have to fill. I think Shapiro and Atkins have got to start exploring those options. But I really do feel like if you look at this team and where they are right now, they're not out of it. They've got the talent. I think they just need to get, A, healthier, And what they need, too, is they need guys like Kevin Pillar to hit the way they were hitting before guys like Tulowitzki and Donaldson got hurt. Those guys that were carrying this team when they had all those injuries have seemed to really regress and haven't been able to find their game. If they could put that together, I still think this is a pretty dangerous team. His name is Colin Teske. He's a sportscaster with the Fan 590, and he's got a great podcast you can find online called The Good, The Bad, and The Teske Colin, I want to get your thoughts on Roy Halladay today, along with Vladimir Guerrero, getting into the Canadian Hall of Fame. And then maybe you can elaborate a little bit and tell me about your thoughts pertaining to him making it to the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Is he deserving of that? And what are your thoughts about Roy Halladay in general? When I think of those two, those two to me growing up were like the faces of baseball in Canada. When Vladimir Guerrero was 
was when he was with the Expos. That, to me, was a time when you could watch a team that was not very good, but you'd watch for one singular player, and that was Vladimir Guerrero. And one thing that stands out with Vladimir Guerrero is he could go reach for a ball that was pretty much in the dirt, and he could still rake it and hit it 450 feet, and he would hit home runs like that, and it was amazing to watch. And that's what makes me even more excited to see his son within the Blue Jays organization. So when I think of Vladimir Guerrero, I think of that. When I think of Roy Halladay, I think of consistency. I think of discipline. And I think of a guy who could throw absolute heat day in, day out. And even though he was on a bad team, even though Toronto couldn't get it right, he was loyal for a very long time, and he always brought his A game. So when I look at those two, it's been a while since they've actually suited up in the major leagues, but I'm still able to pinpoint what made them memorable. And I do think that it's a great idea that they're back in the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame and that they're there. I do think that both of them will get a sniff at the MLB Hall of Fame. And I think that they obviously will be there given their talents and given what they did for both the Expos and the Blue Jays organization. Teske, thank you for joining the show today. I want to let everyone know that they can find you on Twitter, at Teske Radio. Anything you want to mention before I let you go today? Yes, you can find our podcast on Facebook, facebook.com slash the good, the bad, the Teske. It's also up on SoundCloud. It will be on iTunes in the next coming weeks. So you can find me there. Podcast is the good, the bad, the Teske. We go over the three biggest sports stories of the week. We have a weekly guest on as well to weigh in on the biggest topics in sports. It's a growing podcast and one that you've been on, as well as people like Theo Fleury, Tiki Barber, Scott MacArthur, people like that. So that's where you can find the podcast. We've got some exciting things going on there. And you're welcome on the show anytime, my friend. He is Colin Teske. And I certainly hope to have you back on the show soon, my friend. Thank you for joining today. Anytime, Ari. Right.